Go to a town hall and scream at your Republican senator. <laughs> you are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 111. For May 24th, 2017, I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about Bears Ears, saving places we care about, and social responsibility. So go call your congressman, because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today are everyone, including Stephen in Calgary. Hello. Sonia in Utah, or should I say Denver International Airport. Yeah, Hello. Uh, Bill in Arizona. Good morning. Chris in Oregon. Hi. And Doug in Scotland. Hey. All right. So like I said, we've got everybody on today. Um, Sonia is going to be in and out. And just so you know, you'll hear some noise in the background of her recording because she's got, uh, you know, she's sitting at an airport terminal doing a podcast. And that is what we call dedication. So, okay. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about... uh, uh, a whole bunch of things today because we've kind of got a hodgepodge of topics that I've seen collecting uh, on Facebook and different areas. And maybe some of these will turn into a whole show. Maybe I'll turn into a whole show today. I don't know. We'll see what we get to. But one of the first things we're going to talk about since this episode is coming out on May 17th and there's still time to do something about it is Bears Ears National Monument. Okay. And a little bit about social responsibility. And I'll get into what that means uh, a little bit later. So you know, Bears Ears is a, is a national monument in uh, Utah, I believe, and there's been there's been some some talk about it and some controversy about it for a long time now, uh, at least since since at, at the end of last year. And I'll be honest, I haven't really followed a lot about what's going on with this, and this is a great reason why we do a podcast like this and talk about things like this, so we can at least mention it, and you can go do some research. We'll have some links in the show notes, and you can maybe get involved and and see what's going on. Stephen, you posted an article to me. Did you have a chance to take a look at that at all and, and see what the current action around Bears Ears is for anybody listening to this podcast, not two years from now, but this week, <laughs> like on the week of May 17th? So maybe there's something they can do about it? Um, well, uh, on, a, on a broader level, uh, not just Bears Ears, um, but se- several uh, national monuments are being reviewed by the Department of Interior um, per President Trump to, you know, basically, I, I guess, to see if they, they're going to st- still remain national monuments or not. Bears Ears, because it's such a high, uh, is just kind of a contentious issue, they, uh, for some reason, the response period for, for review for public input is mm-hmm. much shorter. It's only like two weeks from last Friday, I think. Whereas for the others, um, they're, I think they get a full month of uh, repu- re- public review period. Uh-huh. So um, this, as far as I know, this will be the only uh, CRM archaeology podcast um, that we'll be able to put out before uh, the the, uh, resp- the public response period um, ends. So I thought, uh, you know, as, as far as a cultural resources issue, th- this really kind of falls within our purview. Um, unfortunately, I'm in Canada. I, I barely am aware of uh, what any of this stuff is, is about, um, except, uh, yeah, I've, I've looked around a little bit and, uh, you know, I've looked at the uh, 
the the actual Department of Interior uh, list of monuments that are currently under review, and we'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, but also, um, there was the Bears Ear. Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, and um, from their website, it looks like they were the five tribes looking to looking to uh, set that up, um, or, or you know, they they were proponents for the initial making it a mo- monument, but uh, uh, you know now it's kind of like reactivated uh, to you know basically save our monument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, judging from that website, so, some interesting overviews over what the, the Bears Monument is, uh, what some of the potential threats are, looting, um, mining, that sort of thing. Um, they, ha- they have some pretty spectacular photographs of uh, archaeological sites, including intact uh, ceramics just sitting there. And, and uh, as far as I, I'm concerned, and, and for this podcast, I, I don't have a lot to say because I don't know all the the um the details uh but it's definitely something that um as a crm archaeologist you should be concerned about this this is a uh, cultural resources and preservation issue and it behooves all of us including those of us living in canada um to uh to you know look into this and perhaps uh, contribute to the public review um and, and i thought i'd toss this over at sonia because being from Utah, she it's it's more local, um, and she probably has better insight into what the public reactions have been and, and maybe what some of the issues are. Yeah, sure. Um, so Bears Ears National Monument was uh, designated last year. Uh, it was one of the last things that that President Obama did before he left office. It's um, it's uh, centered in San Juan County, which is. Uh, the southeasternmost county in the state of Utah. It borders up against Colorado, uh, Arizona, and New Mexico, if the Four Corners region, essentially. Um, and uh, the monument's a little over 1.3 million acres in area. So it's um, Bears Ears itself is actually just a pair of mesas or buttes, um, but it's uh, a traditional cultural property for, uh, uh, for several tribes in that area. The coalition is, um, as as you said, uh, five um, five tribes. It's the Navajo, the uh, Uinta and Uray, or the Ute, yeah U- Uinta and Uray Ute uh, Reservation. They're centered out of Vernal, Utah, which is up in the northeastern part of the state. Uh, the Zuni, the Hopi, and the Ute Mountain Ute, which are which are actually covered in the, uh, mostly in Colorado. So. Um, uh, they're, they're concerned, um, obviously, because this is a, a traditional cultural property for them. It's got thousands and thousands of archaeological sites associated with it. And um, it's being managed by both the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. So this area is obviously um, one of the most dense um, cultural resources area in the state of Utah, as well as, uh, I mean, it's not in Colorado, but Colorado is also pretty dense for cultural resources in that area. I can speak less for for Arizona and New Mexico, um, but I do know that um, there are quite a few archaeological sites up there. The biggest issue that's going on right now is the the state legislature and the governor are kind of down and on, um, kind of downing on the the, uh, establishment of this um, national monument, um, in part because they feel like it's going to hurt business. And by business, we're not talking about 
visits like uh, recreational or um, uh, or that sort of thing. Uh, we're talking about or tourism. We're talking about mining, oil and gas, um, agriculture, and ranching. Now, some things to consider would be uh, <laughs> San Juan County is 85-ish percent tribal. Um, and the legislature is telling us that most people in the, the county or in that region do not want this national monument because it feels like it would hurt business. So we're talking about a legislature that's saying something completely different than this coalition of five tribes. And if 85% of the county is tribal, whose voices are being heard louder yeah. or more? You know what I mean? And uh, so the tribes themselves are feeling like, well, hey, we're not being listened to. Uh, what about our voice? We're independent nations. You know, why aren't we being respected here? And they have a lot of support from the community. Um, so, for example, uh, the city of Moab, uh, there's a lot of positive response and feedback coming out of the residents of Moab. But the state and the, uh, the state legislature and the governor are not listening to that. They're listening to business. So here we have the difference between uh, business and what makes money versus recreation and tourism and traditional cultural properties for the tribes. Um, whose voices are most important? Yeah, I got to I got to follow up on that because it's not I, I have seen the arguments I have seen for Bears Ears have all been. Um, you know, for making it a national monument have all been from the tribal standpoint, um, which is completely valid and should be enough. But it seems to me like there's so much more too. I mean, Bears Ears is an amazing uh, place. I've never been there, but I've looked at a tons of pictures on it. And it looks like it's just an amazing place that needs to be preserved um, just for those reasons alone. I mean, even if there were nothing else to do that for. But the question is, what... Um, you know, we have so much land in this country, and this one tiny, 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 tiny fraction of land, when you look at the entire United States, and, and we're, we're talking about, oh, should we or should we not make this a national monument, what, what is the economic value of it besides the, um, you know, what is the business value to that land? Is there oil under there? What are people trying to get at? What is the, what is the main argument that people are trying to make for business? You know, what's, what's the thing there? Do you know, Sonia? Well, we've got we've got quite a bit of oil and gas uh, down there. Um, it's it's in uh, I think there's an anticline, or a, is it a yeah it's an anticline that's down there, so that caps off quite a bit of oil and gas. There's a lot of of uh, uh, gas pipeline um, seismic activity that goes down goes on in that area. We've also got uranium mining um, down there, uh, as well as ranching. Huge, uh, very very big issue down there. And of course, if you've got yourself a national monument, they have to limit the number of animals per acre um, mm -hmm. in terms of ranching and leasing. And, and that, of course, causes problems for people trying to winter their cattle in one area and then transfer them to another area and uh, what kind of damage we have to soil resources, the geologic resources, paleontological resources, which we all also have in that area. And then, I mean, we're, if, you're, if you're including business, you're also talking about tourism. Utah is huge for tourism. For sure. And it brings in quite a bit of money. But if you start looking at some of the things that have, um, had have, st have started happening in Utah over the last six months, uh, I think like the Outdoor Retailers Conference is usually centered in Salt Lake City, Utah every year. It brings in millions and millions and millions of dollars 
to Salt Lake and the surrounding areas. And this year, uh, the, the, the governor and the legislature have basically said, nope, take off, hosers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, don't, we don't want you here. So the, the outdoor retailers conference left, oh. which has, of course, pulled a lot of, uh, a lot of money um, out of Utah. So tourism is becoming less of a, I mean, from my, my perspective anyway, tourism, it, the state of Utah has kind of been built around that as, a, as, a, as an important um, economic resource, but it's becoming less of an issue to oil, gas, and mining, uh, and, mining um, and other ranching, especially in southern Utah. Now, right. I could be, you know, I could be um, spouting off the wrong information here, but from our perspective, uh, up in the north, that's what's going on, you know, um, and that's what we're observing. And the tribe's voices, um, I feel, are not being adequately represented here. I mean, they will say that they'll go sit down with the tribes and that the tribes are against the monument. I mean, we've heard that out of our legislature. And the, the tribes are not saying that. Yeah. Um, you know, a good, the vast majority of them are saying, no, this is an important resource to us. Well, that that's um, that's not a surprise, and that's why I think that yeah. I mean, we we have a his, we have a history of not listening to tribes, of saying we're going to do that, and then not listening to tribes. That's just that's kind of like the the least shocking part of this whole entire conversation <laughs> is that the tribes are saying, "Hey, wait a minute," and everybody else is turning the other way, or saying they're going to do something and saying and then not. So I feel like us as non-tribal members, we need to. Um, you know, if that's if that's just not going to work, if that's an argument that is not going to work um, with our politicians, then we need to come up with other arguments. And there's plenty. There's plenty of other arguments. It's not just tribal concerns why we should do that. Like I said, it should be enough, but it doesn't seem like it is. So one of the things you can try to help do, although I have uh, I have concerns over whether this kind of thing actually works. I'd love to see some historical data on that. But um, signing petitions and things like that, and you know, we'll we'll get into that a little later. But we have a link in the show notes to um, to sign the petition for Bears Ears, the Bears Ears Coalition. So check that out. It takes two seconds. If it helps, it helps. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'd like to add something to that, Chris. Yeah. Um, signing a petition is a very passive way. Very to, much. To have your say, and you need if if this is important to you. Like it is important to the tribes, those that five, that coalition of five tribes in the south. If this is important to you, please call the state legislature and make your voice heard. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear it from all sides. Um, signing a petition, like honestly, it's too passive. Mm-hmm. And when when you are given an opportunity to comment, like you are for the next, I think, ten to fifteen days on this on this resource. You need to make your comments constructive. You need to say, I am objecting to this for the following reasons. One, and then list it out. Do not get emotional about it. Get factual. You know, Mm -hmm. the resources encompasses this area, and it is important for these reasons. You know, two, and make sure you cite information. Now, this sounds like you have to write a paper, and it's not. That's not the case. But when... The one, one of the things that we don't hear a lot about the NEPA process is that all, all comments have to be addressed. And if your comment is, I object to this, th- their response is, okay, what do you object to? Since you're nonspecific, how much can, how much is that actually going to, how, are they going to actually take time to address your objection? Or are they just going to go, okay, objection, one. 
vague. Yeah. You know, you have to be specific. So, um, in, and sometimes it's even more important to call your legislatures or call the legislature and, and representatives more than once. So, uh, for example, if you're going to call your state representative and say, um, and say, I have an issue, give them one reason why you have an issue, then hang up and call back and give them the next issue because then your voice is heard five, six, seven times instead of just once. Yeah. You know, take 20 minutes, do what you have to do and make your, make each individual issue heard. So each individual issue has to be addressed. Don't get emotional about it. Get logical, support your evidence. That's why we went to college, you know, to, to be able to do, to, to protect these resources. Mm -hmm. You know what to do. Yeah. And on that note, uh, if the politicians who are, you know, suggesting that the, you strip bears ears of its monument status, if, if they're not listening to the reasoning of, um, you know, tourism as a value or native voice as a value, and if they're thinking solely in terms of economic value for industry, then their ears are being bent by, you know, these robber barons who are miners and ranchers. And the only people profiting from that are miners and ranchers. That money is not going to support the local economy or even the state economy. And so if you want to speak in that language, Patagonia and REI have provided a lot of comments talking about how the outdoor uh recreation industry is a $4.6 billion industry. And that is something that is really in the blind spot of a, a lot of these politicians who are obsessing over industry, especially extractive industries. And ecotourism is, you know, in fact, leaps and bounds more profitable than extractive industry. So that's one of those things, you know, just check out Patagonia and REI. And uh, when you're making these calls to your uh, senators, you know, just read off what they've said as uh, exactly, you know, they've done a lot of the research for you. The more comments that your senators and, and your governor and just everybody receives specific to each one of those issues provided with research and, and supporting information is another thing, another hoop that they have to jump through in order to, um, in order to uh, delist. Mm -hmm. And you want to provide as many hoops as possible for them to jump through on this. Right. Assuming you support uh, keeping <laughs> it as a national monument. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, we're going to go to break, but we'll pick this up on the other side of the break in just a minute. Back in a second. This episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast is made possible by Codify Incorporated. Codify is a California benefit corporation that can help you with your digital archaeological needs. Visit codify.com today to find out how Codify can help you go paperless in 2017. That's www.codify.com. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. Um, and just to mention, you know, I mentioned that the bearsearscoalition.org website was a petition. It's not a petition. That was my fault because um, it looks like one. <laughs> they've got numbers up there. Makes it seem that way. But what they say is you're signing a statement that they've created. And if you agree with that statement, you click on the button and then you can add your information to that statement and you can add a personal note to that statement as well. And they're sending those comments to the Secretary of the Interior as part of the public commenting period. So like I said, if you're listening to this in current time frame, uh, it's, to, it's May 17th, 2017. 
then you have time to do that. Um, if you're listening to this a year from now, hopefully you're listening to it from your cabinet, Bears Ears National Monument. Otherwise, um, Doug, you had a comment from the last segment. Yeah, um, I, I, my comment is um, I actually find this to be quite scary for the um, Trump organization, mainly because, let's face it, um, the clown show that is the White House has done so many ham-fisted things. And this is actually going through the normal... I guess you'd say the normal processes that governments would go through to do stuff. So if anyone else other than Trump was doing this, this is the process they would do, which means they might already have decided on the uh, outcome. Um, whereas if this was, you know, something that Trump personally felt strongly about, we know that there'd be an executive order and some sort of signing ceremony where they, I don't know, desecrate some Native American stuff in front of everyone on the TV just because... Um, but this is actually going through the process of having a petition and see the, the designated national monument, um, is a power given to the president. And in theory, if Trump wanted to, he could actually shrink the size of it. Um, legally, most people agree that once you've created a national monument, it's probably almost impossible to get rid of it unless it's an act by Congress. And so once you've created it, it's probably there until Congress says it's not. Um, but the president can change the size of it. And so this whole review of, I mean, it's the last 20 years of all national monuments made since I think one at the end of, uh, they picked one sort of period, I think it was like 1997 when Clinton made one and they're reviewing 20 years worth of monuments. And they don't actually have to do this review. If mm -hmm. Trump wanted to, he could shrink down the size of the National Monument to, I don't know, one square meter. He, he could make it non-existent um, if he wanted to. And so that's the part that's kind of scaring me is our normal expected behavior of Trump is he would actually just decide it's Wednesday and he wants to shrink down Bears Monument down to an acre or something like that. And he could do that. And that is, um, there's some debate He'd probably get sued about it because some laws have changed and the president hasn't done that in like 40 years or so. Um, but if he really wanted to, he could just shrink it down to, to the point where it's pointless. Um, and that's, that's why I'm a bit scared about this, is they're actually going through the motions of doing a, a review as opposed to the sort of ham-fisted, um, I'm going to make a, a decision, which kind of, I don't know what your guys' thoughts on it, but it means that um, they're becoming more professional, which means they might actually get more done. Right. Um, and that more done means, you know, loosening the laws and destroying protection for uh, natural and cultural heritage, at least in my opinion, what I see. I'm going to disagree a little bit. Um, I, th I think that... Well, Stephen, that Stephen, wait, you know that was Doug speaking, not me. You don't have to disagree. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, I, I think the reason that this is doing what Doug was calling like this, this is a professional way of going about it, it is because that, um, if I remember right, this is in reaction to an executive order where Trump ordered the review of uh, national monuments. And, and let's be honest, you know, he, he might not have even known 
exactly what this executive order meant. Um, he was just eating cake and he got confused about something. Yeah, somebody handed him a uh, you know an executive order and it's like great, let's do it. And and um, but basically what it does is it orders the review of national monuments and and so at that point it goes to the Department of Interior and you know they still are an agency and and those guys have been in the agency for quite a while and and so. You know, within the agency themselves, they're like, "Well, there's a process for doing this, and here's what we have to do." Um, and and you know, it it might even be, you know, not, I'm completely speculating. Uh, so, um, but you know, it could even be that um, people in the Department of Interior aren't in favor of this and are doing the public comment as a little bit of foot dragging. Um, but they are reacting to it in, in like, like Doug was saying, it's, it's the way that, you know, an agency should, you know, would be doing this. And, uh, you know, this is the, that agency's way of reacting to, um, the executive order. But don't you find that just a little bit scary? I mean, it's, it's professional. Um, whereas if you wanted to, cause I mean, it is a, effectively the president can make, um, any monument they want. And in the past, they have shrunk it. I think um, maybe it was Taft cut one in half, um, you know, the size of it, stuff like that. Why go through the, the professional part of the review uh, when they could just ask Trump? No, I, actually, um, I, I, find, I find the opposite scary. I find the idea that Trump would just, you know, shrink it down without public review. That, that's the frightening part. At least with public review, you you have a chance of, you know, having your opinion tossed in. You know, whether anybody listens to it or not, that, that's a completely different, um, you know, subject. But uh, but I, I think that having it being professional and at least having a, a, a certain amount of, you know, public input, you know, that, that actually is somewhat reassuring. Um, I mean, which, like, none of, I mean in the way that like the actual idea of like let's get rid of these monuments is not reassuring at all um but at least that they are maintaining some degree of uh you know professional process in there well so the part where i find scary is because no matter what what happens whatever decision they make there is probably going to be a lawsuit uh and why well, okay sorry Maybe they decide to keep all the national monuments and then there won't be a lawsuit. But if they decide to shrink them or they decide to get rid of them, there will definitely be a lawsuit. Lots of organizations, Sierra Club, they've all lined up saying they'd be able, they're going to sue if anything happens. Um, and the part I find scary is if you do a public comment, that takes away a, a ground to sue. So it, it becomes professional. It makes it more easy because if it was, if it was just a, you know, an executive order to shrink it, there would be a million lawsuits. It would take years, and effectively, um, it would go all the way to probably pass Trump's um, term in office, and then the next president would just drop it. Um, but well, by the, doing the this, problem, though, the problem there though is that a lawsuit is not necessarily a guarantee of a state of action, right? In this case, it would be it would it would delay the ability for them to shrink it for probably years. Um, but I'm not sure that's true. 
um, you know, because the court would have to agree to a stay. And, and that doesn't always happen. And, and I, I'm sure, uh, you know, should get a lawyer on here, but, you know, I'm sure there's like legal reasons why or why not you, you can have a stay of action, but I don't know what that criteria is or, you know, what can lead a judge to either do it or not do it. All right, fair enough. There, there may not stay it, but there would definitely be a legal action that would keep most everything in limbo. Um, and probably that legal limbo would keep most of those areas protected in that if people were going to say, try to drill on that land, which would be much, much harder if it was a national monument, um, there's this risk of this lawsuit. So they could invest and all of a sudden the lawsuits get decided and then they lose that lease and are no longer able to drill. Um, so I think even if, if it's not, there's not a stay, you would still be able to significantly slow down development in those areas because no one really wants to take that legal risk of suddenly investing a lot of money and losing it because of a lawsuit. Um, though I, I, I would say they probably, Sierra Club has really good lawyers. They would be able to get a stay, but um, I think a lawsuit would keep it in limbo for a lot longer. And one of the ways you could do a lawsuit is say there wasn't public consultation. Um, but now they're doing that public consultation and a very hurried 15 days to public to comment and what is it 30 days for the other ones does anyone know yeah i think that, that sounds right yeah yeah like that. that's that's just enough to tick that box um and then you know hopefully i mean there is always the risk that 90 percent of the people that respond say we don't want it um but you can still move ahead um even if most people say they don't want it by just saying we've done it, um, and look, there's a couple of people who support it. But let's uh, let's get some other comments on this. Bill, you had something on this. Yeah, I, I'm glad you guys are finally here with me because uh, <laughs> growing up in Idaho, these kind of ideas about you know the government and takings and all that stuff—that's just what your bread and butter. You learn that from elementary school. I mean, the entire the reason why he'd follow the actual process is not some kind of savvy or uh you know some kind of um evolution in their strategy that they actually are realizing that they can get things done by actually following the system it's striking at the heart of something that his opponents actually care about so all the people who are against him uh care about public lands they care about open spaces and things like cultural heritage more than they care about things like drilling for oil so this is a good way to distract a whole bunch of their time and money on this scheme that like you said he could just make an executive order and just be done with it and then start the lawsuits instead he opens up this whole comment period so that we can all spend all our time spending uh, uh, using our breath uh, on podcasts and other strategies like this so that we don't actually pay any attention to the fact that he hasn't appointed a whole bunch of the people that we need to run this country and the fact that he's renting out pieces of Trump Tower uh, by the government and the fact that the investigation between his relationships uh, between his campaign and Russia um, is continuing on. I mean, this it just is a, a smoke and mirrors. We look the different direction and, it, it, you know, it makes us think he's following the rules. But in all fairness, he's doing what uh, he wants anyway. And this just distracts us. Which is a lot smarter than anything he's done in the past. Well, I, I don't know. His whole thing has been amazingly smart 
he's he's done an excellent job as far as this whole campaign. He's gotten all the stuff that he wants. The cards are all stacking up in his favor right now. And we're all running around dismayed like we don't know what to do because he's not acting like a normal politician. That's stunning and shocking to us. And we're trying to do all our political action stuff to counteract what he's doing. But I think that the guy is brilliant and he has other people that are you know, just as smart, if not smarter. And we all think that they're dumb because they don't comply with our uh, beliefs or the, or the way that we think. But as far as what they do, they're doing a great job. Oh, I, I disagree. I think they're doing a... Oh, I mean, like, out of name one thing that they've managed to act. So, okay, they've managed to roll back using a sort of loophole law, a lot of the regulations for the last year of Obama. Um, they appointed a Supreme Court justice, which, yeah, that was basically going to happen no matter what. But they've actually but done the, almost nothing. The goal is not for, for them to do those political things. The goal is for them to shovel money into their pockets. Look at the stock market. Look at the fact that house prices are going up, the stock market's going up, but none of our wages are going up. I mean, they're doing it. It's working for them. They're not supposed to run the government or manage or do any of that other stuff that an actual politician would do. Okay, let's He's doing this. Let's <laughs> let's bring this down. This could really devolve into uh, into a politics podcast, which I know that we should be talking about these things. But what I want to talk about real quick, I want to get some ideas from you guys in the last three minutes here. What are some? What do you guys think are some actual things that people can do to, that actually mean something? For me, um, you know, one of the things that I feel like we do is that that actually provides value to the world as a whole, just in in changing people's mindsets and thinking about things constantly. Is actually doing all these podcasts. You know, the Archaeology Podcast Network brings information into people's head on a daily basis, and I think that might be one of the reasons our current political climate. One of the reasons why our listenership has. Uh, more than doubled, almost tripled in the past nine months. Um, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a mistake. I, I think that's that's why these things are are happening. Um, but what do you think we can do? Because the the group Archaeologists for a Just Future renamed themselves that after Trump was elected, and said we're going to do this. And Acra had a webinar, and we're going to do this and that, and we're going to do these things. But then nothing was actually done. We marched for science. What did that do? Got a bunch of people outside. Sounds great, but did anybody pay attention? What are some things we can actually do that aren't petitions and marches for sciences because nobody seems to care about those things that, that actually the people we're talking to doesn't seem to work? So what are some things we can actually do to get people out there? Steven, you were so, the first to comment. Or Bill, uh, keep on rolling if you want. Uh, no, I mean, I'm not going to take thunder away from Steven, but all I was going to say is these big actions like Bears Ears are difficult for individual communities to pull off. But it is not difficult for you to get the money together to buy a house or to buy some kind of farm or some kind of uh, um, building that matters to your local heritage. Just straight up buy it and then remove it from the um, uh, remove it from any kind of ability to be developed or destroyed or uh, tampered with. The second thing mm -hmm. that you can do is try to create local laws in your town, even your subdivision level, local codes that. Uh, um, they they try to benefit historic preservation because historic preservation rules were built around the idea that private individuals would purchase properties, bounded geographic entities, and uh, there would be incentives and penalties to uh, changing those from their uh, historical character. 
that's the way it was designed and that's the way it still exists. So really that's where you can go, you know, see if you can get money together to get a down payment on an old house that's historical, that's associated with someone who played a role in your local history and then use whatever laws that exist to uh, benefit the, the improvement or rehabilitation of that property and try to keep that in some kind of a trust so that it can't be developed. And if there are not rules that actually help you, try to push for your local congressman, alderman to get these rules to help you. Yeah, that's good. And I think we've got some more ideas coming. But uh, instead of going over, let's just take a, our last break really quick. And uh, we'll be back shortly to wrap up this podcast. <laughs> This is Christopher Sims, host of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. It's a show geared for early career archaeologists where I bring interviews and casual panel discussions about the challenges and opportunities that many archaeologists encounter starting off. So, if you're still in school, thinking about going back, just getting started, or want to take the next step, you'll find what you need to go dig a hole. Tune in every other week on the Archaeology Podcast Network. All right, we're back for our final segment. And uh, Stephen, I think you had a comment near the end there regarding uh, some things you think we can do. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, um, as Bill was talking, I ended up with a couple of comments. Um, uh, you know, for, first uh, to talk about what Bill was uh, mentioning, I don't know how feasible it is to, you know, for us to be like, let's purchase up all the historic properties. Um, at least, you know, most of us who listen to this podcast, you know, we're all archaeologists and um, our, our ability to afford <laughs> to, to afford a historic properties and, and maintain the, you know, the expenses of upkeep. Uh, that's um, not easy for us to do. Uh, but uh, my, my initial flag of uh, comment uh, actually goes back to uh, when you were talking, Chris, uh, you, you were talking about individual things like the March for Science and, and, mm -hmm. and the, the, um, that particular Facebook page and, and stuff like that and um, discussing uh, that, you know, like on a, on a, you know, like, you know, what did these things accomplish? And, and I think the answer, um, the way they have to take these is um, that they don't, unless it's a specific action that, that we're taking, like in, in this case, we're all, you know, talking about doing the public comment for um, national, you know, the, these various national monuments and and um, and, and the Bears Ears in particular. Beyond that, um, a lot of these don't have a set, you know, you will do this one thing. Like a march for the march for science was not a, you know, in support of any given specific scientific uh, legislation. Or, or action or anything like that. It, it is in a broad um, perspective of we're doing, you know, like, you know, a pro-science, uh, uh, you know, perspective that, you know, all these people, you know, think science is important and, and uh, you know, across the board for various different policies and, and various different issues. Um, and, and I think that those type of actions are, are very useful because they keep the visib visibility going that, you know, the, uh, 
the 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 whole um, concept of uh, you know, like, because everybody talks about how, like, you know, Trump's just doing all these things to wear us down. I, I, I think that, you know, this is our response, is that, you know, we're here, we're doing all these things and, and you know, maintaining um, a vocal majority, let's say, um, you know, because I, I, I think that, you know, the case can be made that it's actually the majority, but you're remaining vocal you're remaining visible and um that it 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 provides i don't don't know drag on them trying to push through the things that they want to do Mm -hmm. and and you know trump has made several comments to that and it's like oh well you know i didn't realize it'd be this hard or i didn't realize you know um and and the reason is because when he's sitting in his echo chamber um, you know, the oval echo chamber and, and, you know, and, and he doesn't, you know, he thinks that, oh, well, you know, we'll just do this and it'll help us and, and it'll be great. And, and the realization that, you know, it's not, you know, that there are going to be quite a few people who, who, um, disagree and, 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 you know, push back. Um, it, it, that's like the, the message that needs to get reinforced. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it, it's 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 not a fast game. It is a slow game. You know, we're playing baseball here. A lot of innings of baseball, and and we're not playing the home run game either. We're we're doing the whole like, you know, just singles, nothing but singles. Right. And 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 you know, and and you know, the the sad part is, and the reason we're doing it this way is that's what we can do. I agree with that. National. National politics is is all about chipping away. You know, it's hard to make a it's hard to make a big punch in a in a in something so massive. I I totally get that. Um, and I think Sonia mentioned in the comments some of the things that we can do that are those smaller chip away things are local politics. You know, getting into local politics. And even though people have a, a bad taste in their mouth when they say "ooh, gross politics," but that's why we have a whole bunch of Republicans and business people in politics right now because they say, "Oh yay, politics!" <laughs> so they do it, and uh, and at the local level, it's tough to get people into that job because they just want to do their research, they want to write papers, they want to do their things. They're scientists; they want to keep doing that, but they don't realize the kind of social responsibility of of electing one of those people to say, "Hey, let's take a hit for the team and and put you in office," um, you know, and and or somebody just deciding to do that. So, Doug, go ahead. Yeah, along those lines, you're you're not looking at like everyone wants sort of an easy win, but you're actually looking at like a hundred year, a two hundred year effort we're talking about here, uh, which may seem daunting, but it is one of those things. Um, and if people are looking for stuff to do, a lot of it is actually going and talking to your friends, and going and talking to strangers, other people you don't know. And trying to convince them um, of it, because obviously everyone's going, oh, you know, we need to go talk to our, our elected representatives. And yes, they're important. Really, it's they're elected, so they, they work on the whims of people and the opinions. And if we suddenly switched so that 90% of the U.S. population thought that historical preservation was important, this wouldn't be an issue. Um, and it's, it's really sort of ground up and it really is just tons upon tons of talking to a lot of people and convincing them to change their opinions. 
Um, and it can take decades to do that, but you really are looking for people to do that. Yeah. Sonia, you're about to get on a plane. Final comments? I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to... Earlier I mentioned a little bit about being very passive when we just sign off on these petitions. Now, we're mice right now, okay? We're quiet little squeaky mice sneaking around in the background, not doing much, maybe doing a little damage here and there, okay? And I'm going to speak in a lot of figurative... <laughs> little metaphors here, okay? Um, we need to go out and, like, the March for Science, you know, that the number of attendees on that was dwarfed by the March for, like, the Women's March and the March for Life, mm -hmm. okay? If we can go out and get our, our fellow scientists involved in this, basically put together an army of big rats and then roll tide, like, secretive mim style, Nice. We need to, we need we need to actually, like I'm, like I said, metaphors here. Um, we we need to we need to get bigger. Archaeology. We like to say that we're small, but we're twelve thousand people in the United States alone. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about Canada. We're not talking about Europe. We're talking about twelve thousand professional archaeologists in the United States that work professionally in archaeology. That's very very small number. And if you assume that just a tiny number of us are actually commenting on it. We're not making it too much of a difference. We're doing a little bit, but we're not doing enough. We've got to get the larger scientific society uh, or group or organizations involved in this, get their investment, and get hundreds of thousands of signatures, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of comments. The federal government cannot legally ignore comments coming with legitimate um, response with cited um, supporting evidence. Don't get onto these things and say, I just disagree because. Right. Tell them why. Call your senators. Be active about it. Don't be passive. And that is so hard for us as scientists because we are, I don't know, innately quiet. I don't want to say quiet people because we're not quiet. But we're, we're very just kind of indirect and we lay back in the background and say, oh, someone else is going to take care of it. Well, I'll tell you what. Right now, the feds are trying to take care of this monument. They're trying to take care of what is it, another 25 or something, monuments in the United States. It's not just bear's ears, okay? It's everything else. We need to get together and make a difference, and we can't do that alone. That's right. And, Sonia, thank you for your comments in case you have to drop off and get on your plane. Um, you know, we'll I see do. you. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks for that. All right. All right, thanks. All right, bye, guys. Thanks, Sonia. I'll just say to Sonia's mice comment, uh, you know, we are mice, but – Mice took down most of Europe a few hundred years ago, so it's not impossible. Maybe we need to hit the master reset button. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> see, who, see who ends up on top. I just can totally still hear you guys. You did that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Just stop brushing your teeth and that'll do it, all right? That's right, that's right. Uh, Doug. Yeah, actually, I'm not even sure we really need to get that big. Um I'll take the example of Texas. Every, I don't know, whenever, almost every year, they try to introduce a bill to legalize arrowhead collecting on waterways, which, you know, would be federal and state land. Um, and every year, the Texas Archaeology Society, which may not be their name, I can't remember the exact name, they show up to the, you know, go to Austin. There's maybe 50 or 60 of them. They show up to the committee meeting. And they get the bill killed each and every year because it's literally 
a couple of people versus dozens. Um, and you don't actually need to have a march of a million people. You could just have a couple of dozen people show up to the right committee meetings, and that actually gets a lot done. Yeah, indeed. You know, I uh, I don't know. I don't know what I have to say on this, honestly. Um, after we've had all these comments, I'm just hoping that we get some, you know, we get some actual things done as a result of this and some other actions and, and some things like that. Um, anybody else have any final comments on this to wrap up? Yeah, I think that the takeaway is that it's going to take political action. And, <clears throat> you know, civic engagement is being branded by mainstream liberals right now as like hashtag the resistance, but it's just a, a like a duty. It's an obligation. And I think one of the great things that's happened in the past hundred days is that more and more people are <clears throat> becoming active in their politics and taking ownership over this. And so, you know, it's just like Doug said, it's just like Bill said, it's just like we've covered throughout this whole thing. You've got to show up. You've got to, you know, be aware of what is on the table, what kind of bill somebody's trying to pass, and, you know, go go through the legal channels and and just jam them up and make them stop. And, uh, you know, that's just basically it. Uh, is you know, get active. It's that's what it's going to take. Indeed. Well, I think that. Uh... I think the podcasts like this, um, as we mentioned in the comments on the show, are, are a good way to at least get the the word out. Because I, I think personally that a, a big problem with um, with people in general understanding why these are problems is that they don't have the information. They're getting information from one side. They're getting it from some news sources that they that they follow. But if if people hear this podcast and they hear other podcasts like this and other science podcasts. And just, just about information in general, not necessarily even about political activism, but increasing the educational and scientific knowledge of people in the world, just leveling that up, then if we can get that into people's heads, which means when you see this on social media, share it out. You know, we don't we don't get any money from getting extra numbers, so it's not about that, you know, but we like to see shares on the episodes so other people can see it. Because when you have your share settings set right then friends of friends will see it and it could be exponential growth on at least just hearing about different things that we talk about and different things that other podcasts and science podcasts talk about. So when you see that good stuff, don't just, don't just share cat videos, please. Although I'm sure those are entertaining, but, um, share, share the good stuff. And, uh, and let's try to, let's try to help out. Cause I think if the 12,000 of us that Sonia mentioned, um, can, you know, can can share these things out and to you know help out our family and friends then again that's exponential growth and uh and everybody can hear it so anyway i think uh real quick here right at the end of our podcast uh bill mentioned doing this when we were texting about the show today and i want to do this so we'll say give a uh congratulations to all recent graduates if you happen to be listening to this you're i feel like you're a step ahead of the game because i wish i'd had something like this resource when I got out of college, <laughs> when I graduated college. So congrats to recent graduates. Uh, Bill, congratulations to you. You finished up your, your PhD. Do you have any steps left, or is that it? Are you done? Are you Dr. White? I'm done. I did it. I'm Dr. Nice. White. I finished. Outstanding. <laughs> I prefer Dr. Bill, but Dr. White sounds yeah, good, too. <laughs> Dr. Bill. You want to hear a bunch of bad advice on your life? Just listen to the Dr. Bill. The Dr. Bill show oh, <laughs> coming yeah. next on the APN. <laughs> I went... I went to a lot of the uh, graduation um, 
ceremonies and stuff for the other students. And uh, yeah, congratulations. It should feel great to be done with school, no matter where you're at. And uh, no matter where you're going after this, whether you're going to start work or you're still trying to figure it out, you have made a huge accomplishment that you really should feel proud. Um, it's no small thing to finish college. And everyone on this podcast knows it's, it's no small thing. It takes a lot of work. So congratulations, everybody. And I, th- I think the other important thing to note about graduating college as well is people feel like now that they graduated college, regardless of the degree, whether it's an undergrad, a master's degree, or a PhD or something like that, they feel like they are committed to that for the rest of their lives, that they can't ever make any other decisions. And this, these choices that they've made, whether it was their thesis or dissertation research or a focus of study in an undergrad, is like, that's it. But how many people do we know, guys, that that went to college for a certain thing and now are perfectly happy doing a completely different thing 10 years later or five years later or whatever? Um, you might be still paying off the bills from that education, <laughs> but there wasn't there was value to it in just doing it and experiencing it and practicing it, even if you tend to diverge from that. Plus, if you stay in archaeology, there's no linear path in archaeology, as Chris is saying in the background. There's, uh, you know, there's any number of paths you can take. Right, Bill? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, finishing school, the world is wide open now. You don't have to worry about school. The, the one thing that you that was keeping you in your place, uh, the university, now you're free to uh, move about. So go ahead, exercise that freedom, and congratulations. Absolutely. And like I said, if you just graduated and you're listening to this podcast, go check out other ones. Go check out some of Bill's books. Go check out some other stuff. So you're already a step ahead of the game um, if, you want to, uh, if you want to get out. And if you're looking for a job, head on over to arcpodnet.com forward slash CRM podcast. And on the right side, enter jobs in the search bar or enter resume or enter, you know, networking, something like that. We have, this is our 111th show and we have quite a few resources. Um, and I try to do detailed enough show notes so that those search terms actually come up um, in the in the searches. So it's a lot of really good stuff. And, and, and we're out there and we're here to help. Send in your emails. So, all right. I think that's it for this week. Thanks a lot, everybody. And uh, again, congratulations to recent graduates and for everybody else. Uh, Go sign some some Bears Ears comments uh, during the comment period if you're listening to this in real time and uh, do something local to make a difference. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag CRMArcPodcast or you can tag at ArcPodNet in your tweet. Please share the link to the show wherever you saw it. If you share CRM archaeology related items on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else for that matter, be sure to use the hashtag CRMARC so the community can see and comment. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. 
Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs>